Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 161 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today we are completing the conversation of last week. Today is neurotransmitters part two, and we are going into the excitatory compounds. Last episode, we covered serotonin, GABA, two of the primary inhibitory, or as I like to call them, mellower outers for our brain and body, as well as acetylcholine, a transductor of neurotransmitter signaling. We unpacked all of their function, what happens when they're imbalanced, both symptoms of too high as well as too low, and how to create balance within this complex Uh, as I call it, symphony within our brain. Uh, So last episode, if you missed it, we really went into what neurotransmitters are and started to give some tips, uh, food as medicine strategies, supplements, and lifestyle. But today we're going to really unpack some of the elements that you can apply on a daily daily basis or daily level, as well as further strategic supplementation, food as medicine, and unpacking those that are released in a stress response, the excitatory neurotransmitters. Yes, so, so much good stuff. And we totally knew that we would not be able to get it all in one episode. So we planned for this one to be a dense two-parter. So uh, if you haven't listened to 160 yet, you don't need to go back. They can certainly stand on their own, but that'll give some good foundation into exactly what neurotransmitters are and kind of a, a little mini 101. We'll do some of that today, but mostly today will be new information, like Ali said, on those excitatory compounds. Absolutely. So before we get into a little bit of a review and then jumpstart into new content, uh, let's do a little bit of updates of what's coming. So we have some events still in November. These are the final leg of the anti-anxiety diet cookbook book tour. Um, It's been so much fun meeting all of you and um, giving hugs, hearing about your success stories, answering and troubleshooting your questions. And uh, I would have just return from New York, but you know, we pre-record, so I'm not sure how New York went yet, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) wrapping up in the home front in Austin and Houston. Um, But for those of you that are anywhere across the country, I would love and value and so appreciate you taking the time to leave a five-star review on the Anti-Anxiety Diet Cookbook over on Amazon. So I did exceed my goal with the Anti-Anxiety Diet book where we have over 100 reviews and I think I'm sitting at 4.5 or 5 stars. So if you haven't left one there, help me tip it over into a strong five. But the Anti-Anxiety Diet Cookbook, I kind of 
you know, it was such a struggle to get out there, I think, um, with that, like holding on Amazon and the release being delayed a little bit that I was just so grateful it came out. And then book tour started that I forgot to ask you guys for your reviews and they really help uh, as far as the algorithms for what Amazon will suggest when people search for a topic of concern. So if people are looking for a book, especially a cookbook to help with mood balance and stability, uh, this would be a really great resource, I believe for so many. And if you have the book and you love it, you leaving a five-star review with a couple sentences helps more people to find out about it. Yes. I'll make it super easy by linking in today's show notes, exactly where to go to leave a review. But if you've purchased the book, you can click direct into your old orders or just search Allie Miller anti-anxiety diet cookbook on Amazon. Click in, leave the girl five stars. And yeah, like it literally could be like, this book has changed my life, period. But when you do leave a sentence or two, (laughs) uh, when you leave a sentence or two, it really does help to boost as well beyond just clicking those five stars. So greatly appreciated. I'm holding a little bit of a competition, if you will, when you share with me on Instagram, uh, post on your stories or your featured post how you left a review, as well as maybe your personal thoughts about the cookbook, I'm entering you into uh, opportunity to win a container of GI lining support, uh, which is one of my desert island supplements. It has L-glutamine, DGL, and um, aloe vera. It coats and protects the gut lining and a great tool during the holidays because you may have heard me say glutamine gets depleted under stress. So we could all have that. Uh, When glutamine levels get low, we actually can have muscle wasting. And when glutamine levels get low, we can have increased anxiety as well as increased sugar cravings. So this helps to coat and protect your gut in case you're eating any more dietary irritants as well as help on that neurotransmitter level. Yes, such a good thing to have going into the holiday season for sure. Um, Let's update listeners a little bit about just upcoming events, where are you wrapping up and, and what's going on in Austin and Houston? Yeah. So I just returned from amazing uh, weekend out in Dallas. So much fun. The Resilient, Brilliant and Balanced event was such a success. People drove in from all over and it was just incredible. So thank you all who showed up in Dallas. So cool meeting you all. Uh, On November 14th, I am throwing an event in the village in Austin. It's off of Anderson Lane, um, kind of right by where that Alamo Draft House is. Behind those businesses, there's a really beautiful koi pond and little um, atrium area. I will be doing an event called Food as Medicine in the Village, and this is November 14th. That's a Thursday evening. It is free, um, and I'm going to be featuring other business partners in that area. So my chiropractor, Austin Life Chiropractic, really, they're the ones who kind of are spearheading it with me. They wanted me to do a lecture in their office, and I said, let's get outside and let's make this a little bit bigger. So we're going to try to accommodate a hundred people. I think we've already filled like 40 spots and haven't really pushed it. Uh, So be sure to grab your spot. It's free. You just have to RSVP, but I'm going to have a bona fide provisions uh, bone broth bar set up. I'm going to have local business partners. Um, We're going to have health tonics and elixirs uh, with vinegar shooters. We are going to have uh, Harper and soul out there with some uh, fat fueled nut blends. We're going to have, have, uh, Stella School, the Yoga Peace School, is going to have an aerial apparatus and show you how yoga as medicine can help with stress resilience and tolerance and the importance of finding your breath. Uh, and it's just going to be really incredible, dynamic and different from a lot of the ones that I've done on tour. So even if you've caught me at another stop, make it out to Austin for that. Like I said, it's free, but you must RSVP. 
And then that Friday evening after a full day at clinic, I drive to Houston and Saturday morning on the 16th, I have an event at Lemon Lane. Um, So this is a kind of wellness and uh, natural beauty store in the Houston Heights area. I will be doing a lecture on food as medicine, but really focusing on gut health, skin health, detoxification, and women's hormones. And uh, we will be making, Becky will be there for sure as well. And um, we'll be making the uh, matcha gelatin pudding with blackberries for y'all to taste. And then the following day, Sunday, uh, November 17th, I will be at the Houston Health Museum. That'll be quite a large afternoon event. Uh, I believe it's $5 for museum members, $10 for non-members. So kind of free, like the cost of a latte. (laughs) And um, I will be lecturing there a little bit more formally on the anti-anxiety diet and anti-anxiety diet cookbook. I'll be there, of course, signing books at all stops and selling books. So these make great stocking stuffers and gifts for family and friends. And then my final stop for 20... Oh my gosh, I almost said 2017 back then. (laughs) Where's my compass? Where's my compass? <laughs> Where are my neurotransmitters? Uh, my final stop for 2019, goodness gracious, uh, is going to be at Book People in Austin on November 25th. And Becky may be at that event, still to be determined. Uh, but it's going to be fantastic. I'm super excited to close it off at an official bookstore. And Book People in Austin is just the coolest local bookstore. All of the biggest authors go there. So it's such an honor that they're giving me an opportunity to speak. This is the Monday of Thanksgiving week. So if you guys, again, live in Austin, San Antonio, even Houston, Dallas, it's worth the drive. It's a great time to bring in family members. I'll be doing a pretty formal like 30 to 45 minute lecture and then be hanging out and doing book signings. And I'm going to have the Bone Broth Bar set up as well there. Giveaways at all stops from my book tour sponsors. So I have Further Food as my gold level sponsor. Then I have uh, Bonafide Provisions and F-Bomb, my favorite uh, fat-fueled nut butter and meat sticks and all of the things. Um, So can't wait to meet you all. And um, let's get into today's episode. Awesome. Awesome. So go on over to AllieMillerRD.com slash events for RSVPs and links to all of those events if they sound good to you. So um, today, before we go into any new information, I know there was something we didn't hit on in part one. We kind of alluded to a little bit, um, but I want to make sure that we cover intermittent fasting and neurotransmitter influence. I know you were discussing the importance of protein and and how fasting or time-restricted eating can become a pitfall just by virtue of not having, you know, enough time, quite frankly, to eat all that protein or or, um, restricting to one meal a day. We're just not going to be able to fulfill those protein needs. Um, But let's real quick do just a, a little mini neurotransmitter description and unpack this. Okay. So just kind of, again, refresh in simplistic terms, neurotransmitters are chemical messengers and they carry signals from one neuron to another within your brain. But remember, we also talked the central nervous system, which is the brain and the spine communicate back and forth with your enteric nervous system, which is basically the brain that lives within your gut. The other kind of big thing that we discussed was the autonomic nervous system or the ANS. 
And this is what's regulated by the hypothalamus in the brain or the H of that HPA axis. So the autonomic nervous system is comprised of both that sympathetic fight or flight response, as well as the parasympathetic rest, digest, and as I like to say, regulate, reproduce, metabolize, right? All of that regulatory function occurs in a parasympathetic state. And in a sympathetic state is that reactive function. And again, the central nervous system kind of bilaterally communicates with your gut. So for those of you guys that have started the adrenal rehab program that just launched, you know, you're really deep diving into all of these connections. And we've already seen some really cool kind of aha moments and uh, ways that we're starting to recalibrate our selected stressors versus those that are involuntary, like maybe a lifestyle change that you don't have direct control over so that you can be more resilient. Uh, But before we go into the fasting thing, we need to do our opening spot sponsor of today's episode, Becky, Further Food. So why don't you kick that off? Yes. Speaking of um, protein and protein deficiency, so Further Food products are the highest quality food as medicine supplements, including grass-fed collagen and pasture-raised gelatin as well. They also have wild-caught cod-sourced... No. Is it cod? Yes, it's cod. It's cod. I was like, is it cod or snapper? It's cod sourced um, collagen as well. If we are on an elimination diet or a pescatarian can still get all of the benefits of connective tissue and gut health. Um, So their collagen and gelatin are non-GMO, hormone and antibiotic free. And we just love the further food community, especially everything that they've done for the book tour. And I know you guys had a really, really fun event um, in Oakland recently, but we um, absolutely love all of their products, but specifically the collagen and gelatin are both staples in our own homes. I know that we both use their collagen packs on the road as well to ramp up our gut support, adding to a coffee or a tea or maybe a keto coffee on the road, just kind of whipping that stuff in there. And we've both transitioned fully to, you know, using their collagen and gelatin in our own homes, both um, collagen in hot and cold recipes, using it within a lot of the recipes actually in the anti-anxiety diet, as well as the gelatin to thicken sauces and in things like gelatin gummies. Exactly. And the matcha gelatin we're bringing to Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. And, uh, on that vein, uh, I am also a huge proponent of the mindful matcha, which incorporates greens. So you're getting an extra boost of antioxidant with that matcha, which balances out the neurotransmitters. We'll talk on our love to matcha today later in the episode, but mindful matcha is really fantastic because you get a good antioxidant boost beyond what the green tea itself offers. And then I'm a huge fan as well of the turmeric tonic, which incorporates um, adaptogenic herbs, which help us with stress resilience and stress tolerance, as well as being anti-inflammatory. So go on over to uh, furtherfood.com discount backslash Allie Miller RD, or you can just at checkout furtherfood.com, put in the code Allie Miller RD at checkout and you will get 10% off your order. Awesome. Yeah. The code's probably easier than remembering that link, but I'll include it in the show notes as well for you guys. Um, so let's go back then to my question on fasting and how that impacts our neurotransmitters. So what happens when we fast on a neurotransmitter level, positive or negative shifts and and how can we kind of, um, combat that? Yeah. So 
every time someone asks me about fasting and troubleshooting, my first question is, why are you fasting? (laughs) Because like, I think, you know, right. We like read or follow health gurus or influencers or read a book or a research study. And then we want to implement, implement, implement. And, you know, I talk about this all the time about how our allostatic load or our stress tolerance can be impacted even by health supporting behaviors and fasting, calorie restriction, exercise, especially the high intensity form, as well as sauna can all be stressors to the body if not received in a balanced state or if kind of tipping over that stress threshold because there's too many compounding variables, right? So we need to be mindful of this. And if someone's doing a fast for autophagy, like they had a chemotherapy treatment session, right? And they're really looking for that cellular cleanup or if they are dealing with an autoimmune flare time and they really want their immune system upregulated with their natural killer cells. These are times to do and consider the priority of a naked fast. Now, if you're looking for the benefits of a fast for just overall wellness, right? Like I want to maintain lean body mass and I saw that fasting ramps up HGH, right? Human growth hormone. Or I like to fast because it gives me a mild calorie deficit and that helps me maintain my body composition goals. Or I want to fast because when I wake up, I don't have time to sit down and eat and I'm not in that parasympathetic state. Or I want to fast to balance my hormones or to enhance cognitive clarity, right? Like I think more electric or rapid with with a, a fast. For those secondary reasons, especially in women or especially in individuals that don't have high amounts, men and women that don't have high amounts of body fat storage, they likely would be more supported doing some form of like a fat fast or a protein fast where they still maintain some level of calorie restriction uh, and so, and likely in a, a liquid form so that it doesn't really provoke all of the digestive stimulation process, but doing a fat fast can give your body enough fat calories so that you can still rebound hormones. If you're coming from a state of hormone suppression, you know, a female that's lost their period, for instance, should never do a naked fast. They should be doing like a heavy calorie fat fast to really teach their body that fat is fuel and consider something like 400 to 500 calories in fat in that morning. Someone that doesn't need to gain gain weight, but is just looking to rebound their hormones, might do about 200 calories of fat in their fat fast. Now, we might consider a protein-supported fast if we have trouble getting in our full balance of our amino acids throughout the day, um, getting enough grams of protein throughout the day of your eating window, and or you're strategically using particular forms of protein for other reason. Like me adding collagen to my coffee in the morning, I do a fat fast with collagen because the benefit of the gut support um, and the benefit of connective tissue with collagen outweighs the benefit of being more calorie restricted or worrying about that protein interfering with my fast. Um, If I'm looking for neurotransmitter support and I know that my mood's off, maybe it's like just before my menstrual cycle, I may even incorporate half scoop of the naturally nourished grass-fed whey into that hot beverage like my matcha with my ghee, my coconut oil, one scoop of collagen, half scoop of grass-fed whey. And, you know, it's becoming at that point more of like a a protein beverage or a protein shake because we're getting over 20 grams of protein at that point. But the cost of benefit of getting the amino acids in a complete 
uh, complete delivery and easy bioavailability is going to enhance the production of the neurotransmitters, including, you know, things like serotonin and including the uh, dopamine, which is going to be that bliss reward seeking. And so again, we have to always think about cost to benefit. And we know protein malnourishment is one of the biggest drivers of brain fog, cognitive decline, and mood uh, stability concerns. So if we're talking about stress response, we may benefit more from having that protein in our beverage. Yes. And I know that was something you and I kind of both came to around the same time when we were doing that episode on the benefits of collagen. We both were like, huh, we stopped putting it in our coffee because we were in this dogma of, of you know fat only in that morning beverage or, or what have you. We were mostly doing that and had stopped doing it. So we both added it back in. Um, I really like what you said there though about um, just knowing the why of yeah. what you're fasting in the first place. And the why you guys can't be because XYZ influencer does it. And I like their abs. Like that doesn't count. I'm sorry. <laughs> like you have to understand what you're getting from it mechanistically. And, and, um, it'd be a good time to go back and listen if this is kind of sparking some interest on our episode. I can't remember what number it was, but a semi-recent episode on intermittent fasting, where we break down those different types of fast and why you would consider one over the other or consider not fasting at all. Yeah. And like, like I said, you know, your why can change. And as that's, what's so cool about using food as medicine and even targeted nutritional supplementation, understanding why you're taking or eating or doing what, or not eating, right. <laughs> and what, how it's serving your body. And then that may shift, like I said, based on hormone trend, it might shift based on your feedback from yourself. Like if I, you know, I just got back from my Dallas book tour, it was a pretty stressful stop. So now I'm going to be adding for a while, both the grass fed weight and the collagen. And I know that that'll serve me better. Awesome. So what does, you said it, it can be a stressor. So what actually happens, which neurotransmitters will increase during fasting and, and kind of what happens on that level? Yeah. So epinephrine is the big one that we can see go up in the state of starvation. So again, your individual body's kind of set point and your amount of body fat reserve is going to give different signals also based on your level of leptin. We've talked about that in so many episodes, but you know, if someone has ample leptin or leptin resistance, right, to high levels of leptin, they're going to be fine with a quote unquote, naked fast or prolonged, like a 24 hour fast with salt or whatnot. And likely they won't start to create that excess epinephrine as early on as someone that is at low body fat, low leptin, right? Because they don't have the reserves and they don't have that satiety. Leptin docks to the hypothalamus and tells us that we're satiated and essentially that the body's safe. So, you know, leptin is made from fat consumption or fat metabolism. So if you're not consuming fat, and you don't have fat to metabolize or very low stores, then the body starts to say, oh man, I'm not safe. Uh-oh, why isn't Allie feeding me? What's going on? And, and we start to get these alarm signals of the stress response. So epinephrine is the big one that we see increasing, and that is the catecholamine, um, which is a stress-responding chemical. And so today, that's our highlight and focus is of our neurotransmitters, what are these excitatory players? And, you know, how they can play a role on not just our mood, but also our cognition, our thought process, and physiologically how our body is responding to our daily stressors and, and our environment. So if epinephrine's in excess, that's going to perpetuate the signaling to the HPA axis that the adrenals have to continue to surge out cortisol. 
So when weighing out fasting, you'd have to think about, you know, are you under a time of increased stress demand? And I'm sure we'll get into more um, when we talk about epinephrine, kind of, you know, some of the things we can bring in if we have known high epinephrine or kind of feeling that like on edge, wiry um, sensation. But I think we've both been there, right? Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And then like, usually my response to that is to fast more or like... (laughs) have cold brew in the afternoon and then I crash. So I've learned from that. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But we'll get more into kind of how you can counteract that um, in a bit. But I would definitely say like starting with calm and clear would probably be the first line of defense if you're wanting to fast or if you know you're going to be fasting and calorie restricting and your stress is still high. And relax and regulate as well, because remember that that actually crosses the blood-brain barrier and tells the pituitary to stop stimulating cortisol production from the adrenals. And remember, if your epinephrine's up, again, that's made by the adrenals, that means you're shooting out more cortisol. Cortisol is a glucocorticoid. So your stress hormone alone, even if you're not eating anything and you're white-knuckling your fast, could be kicking yourself out of ketosis, could be lacking the benefits of being fat fueled or getting that autophagy if your body starts to respond in a stressed environment. Totally. I think that's going to be an aha moment for a lot of our clients and a lot of our listeners for sure. Um, And if you just had an aha and you haven't purchased the adrenal rehab, you know, we're not, we're not promoting in our episodes anymore, but like girlfriend, boyfriend, go get you a spot because it's a game change. We've heard such awesome feedback already. Super stoked. All right. So let's get into unpacking these individual excitatory neurotransmitters. Like I said, we'll circle back on epinephrine, but let's actually start off our conversation with dopamine, which I know is typically known, you know, to most people talking about addictive tendencies, food cravings, things of that nature. Yeah. So we think of it as like the, the bliss or reward seeking, if you will, uh, neurotransmitter. And so Dopamine is made by the adrenal glands, and um, it's actually the kind of first compound as far as the neurotransmitters. I called them, again, catecholamines. There's dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine, and they all convert from one another. So dopamine's that kind of initial output. And when we see like addictive tendencies or outlets of like self-medicating, if we're looking at like external seeking or again, reward seeking, we're thinking of like alcohol addiction, caffeine, even addiction, food addiction, gambling, video gaming, social media scrolling, which is huge, right? Uh, Drugs, alcohol, we start to see that the dopamine release and expression is going to be targeted in these addictive type activities. And everyone in some sense wants to get enough dopamine to feel good about ourselves, feel that filling of the the void, if you will, of the stress response, but without getting this excess that can put the mind into overdrive mode because excess dopamine can actually drive this like very strange uh, hypervigilance. Um, We can see excess dopamine driving tinnitus, like a a ringing in the ears or like a, a buzzing sensation. Um, and we can see an influence with high release uh, that can demand our complex reward centers to 
be seeking. So we can always feel like dissatisfied as well when dopamine levels are off. Um, so there's a lot of medications now out there that are actually dopamine blockers, uh, D2 blockades, if you will. And they do have antipsychotic and anxiolytic or anti-anxiety, if you will, effects, uh, because they take out that hyper stimulation essentially. Like if you think of, I think of like, uh, Vegas, like ding, 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 Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, right. Like the, like, like putting in the coins, pulling the slot, putting in the coins, pulling a slot type thing. Um, and that's kind of what, what the best way to, I think, personify or visualize the, the dopamine response. Okay. Awesome. And, and yeah, even on the, the like tail end of that, of, of, um, issues with increased dopamine, um, seeing things like schizophrenia and bipolar, a lot of times there's a genetic component that like COMT or something like that, that influences dopamine. So I'm sure we'll unpack that a little bit. Um, let's talk about kind of, um, that sweet spot of dopamine and, and what it would look like to have symptoms of deficiency and then maybe symptoms of excess. Yes. So deficiency and excess, this is why anxiety is the Achilles heel, right? (laughs) With deficiency and excess, you can see anxiety. Um, but with deficiency, you tend to see more of like a flat affect, like, like, Oh, like nothing makes me excited Mm -hmm. or happy. Right. So we can see like uh, a flat affect, boredom, fatigue, procrastination, uh, low libido. We can see um, a you know nonstop external seeking for pleasure. So we can see addictive tendencies with a low. Uh, we can see ADHD. Uh, we can see within that kind of difficulty multitasking or or disengaging, re- getting really like locked into a project and not being able to shift. Uh, we can see Parkinson's disease is a big one that we think of connected with dopamine as well as GABA, as we discussed in the last episode. Um, and, and just kind of this like brain fog, la- lack of focus. Flat is basically the big thing I would say. Okay. Um, and then excessive dopamine, like we said, kind of that um, more thrill-seeking or um, paranoia behavior. What else would fall into that category? Yeah, it can actually see, like you said, psychosis, uh, aggressive tendencies, uh, like overly competitive, um, kind of starting to get into that incredible Hulk mode, which only gets worse as these catecholamines metabolize, like excess epinephrine is like the extreme, right? Um, but we start to see a little bit of the, these aggressive tendencies and then, then lack of impulse control kind of on both ends could be expressed. Uh, and, uh, like I said, the tinnitus, the, the ringing in the ears. And so a good kind of understanding of this in like the drug world or compounds that, that may resonate with listeners. So while Butrin, um, is the pharmaceutical drug, the first one that hit the market beyond just being, you know, the SSRIs for antidepressants, well, Butrin is actually a norepinephrine dopamine reuptake inhibitor. So it maintains the circulation of norepinephrine, which we'll talk about a little bit, but as well as dopamine. So that kind of increases this activity of those neurotransmitters so that we can get this enhanced feeling of self-worth, purpose, and can reduce the social anxiety. But we can see in some individuals, right, because of that hypervigilance, that it can start to create paranoia um, if the neurochemistry is into fit for that medication. And that goes to the next compound, which we've talked about in other episodes, which is cannabis. So when we're talking about cannabis and we're distinguishing the psychoactive THC from the non-psychoactive CBD, THC can influence, CBD tends to influence predominantly GABA, right? Which is like that mellower out anxiolytic compound. And it's the THC, which tends to drive dopamine. So it's like this pattern recognition, you know, everything is more like, Ooh, 
Ooh, that's where, uh, who was it? Steven Chernisky said in our podcast, like we're like the classic, like stoned, right? Like open the fridge or like that chocolate bar, like tastes so good. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you know, whatever. And, um, who's been there? Um, but then, you know, the other thing is the people that don't do well with THC likely run high dopamine and they're the ones that are like, ah, the cops are coming, mm-hmm. you know, like, like for I can't breathe, but I'm breathing. And- yes. <laughs> this air is so incredible. Yeah, it's the, right. It's the stimulation overdrive. So that's just kind of an interesting way to just unpack that how, how this neurotransmitter can have quite a dynamic response. And there's a lot of phyto compounds, plant-based compounds, as well as medications that can influence the expression. Okay. And then I think, yeah, like we said, dopamine is one of those where you get into this kind of seeking behavior. So I know you've talked, you know, in the past, past about like this vicious, I think you used to call it the vicious cookie cycle. It might be something else. Totally. Call no, it now, yeah. But, yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about like nutrients of focus, but also nutrients to avoid and why, you know, seeking that external pleasure isn't necessarily going to result in higher levels of dopamine, you know, that are going to withstand or, or hold up. Yes. I love that question. So the food industry has been studying dopamine for decades. Like they're onto this, right? (laughs) And they know that fat mixed with sugar can increase the elevation of dopamine and sustain dopamine elevation longer. That's why we experience like a quote unquote food coma, right? From like the donuts, the French fries, the whatnot. And that's why like McDonald's adds sugar in their salt blend to their French fries because they want to get that more addictive tendency. Um, And so the problem though is when we go for those foods, the, you know, classic carbohydrate-laden processed foods that are made to to elevate our dopamine, they don't replete the building blocks to manufacture dopamine. So that makes us more of an addict seeking that high without giving us the foundational tools to produce. So we always have to externally go for, and just like any drug addict, that you know, what got you high the first time isn't going to be sufficient. So now you need more, more, more. Um, and we can see this even with foods outside of sugar and, and um, the sugar and fat carb combination. We can also see this even with like caffeine addiction and so forth. So we want to be mindful that those are foods that can drive dopamine, uh, I guess, uh, surge, but can also, especially flour-based foods and refined carbohydrates, those can actually create deficiencies, which drive dopamine depletion. Got it. So it kind of like swings that pendulum every time you hit that food further in the opposite direction. And then further into deficiency. Yeah. Yeah. It's like right and left. Yeah, totally. Um, And and so what we want to look for instead are tyrosine rich foods. So just as tryptophan, the amino acid uh, converts as a precursor into serotonin, tyrosine is the amino acid that converts into our dopamine. So we're looking at uh, eggs are actually a huge source, especially duck eggs. And we're seeing this richest in the yolk, of course, and really all protein rich foods are going to be supportive. And then there is benefit from legumes. In fact, we, we see like mucana purines as a compound that have L-DOPA in them. And this is used in supplemental support 
for an individual that knows that they run low dopamine, but I would only use muconopurines, just a word for the wise, if you know you run low dopamine. Otherwise, again, that could be driving you into overdrive mode. Um, it would be more preferred to just work with the protein-rich foods um, and getting more eggs into your diet. Um, and then you can also consider on a supplement level L-tyrosine, again, just as an amino acid compound, and, and that's going to directly support um, but you need to be mindful that if you, of course, are on Wellbutrin or an ADHD drug uh, such as like Ritalin, uh, these work on your dopamine receptors and it would not be appropriate to supplement with either muconopurines or L-tyrosine as that can drive mania, paranoia, psychosis. So, so like I said, that's why I kind of tend to go for the foods first. However, one more caveat. If you know you run low thyroid hormone, L-tyrosine also supports thyroid hormone production. So that could be a good amino acid consideration. Got it. But duck eggs sound like a great safe option. I don't do enough duck eggs in my life. <laughs> and you're, you're dark poultry. So this is why I like all of my recipes in the anti-anxiety diet use chicken thighs <laughs> versus, you know, chicken breast. Got it. That totally makes sense. Um, any further thoughts on dopamine or shall we move on to epinephrine? I, I, think we have to, otherwise it's going to be five hours. Okay, great. <laughs> Let's talk epinephrine. Give us just kind of a brief rundown. Obviously, we alluded to this with the um, fasting conversation a few minutes ago, but give us a brief rundown and then we'll, we'll do the same thing of deficiency and excess symptoms. So the interesting thing with epinephrine is that, you know, again, this is produced by our medulla of our adrenal glands. And this is like the downstream impact of the primary stress responding chemical. This is like the, I think of it as like literally like the red alarm light, right? Like do, 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 like things aren't okay. Um, and what's interesting is that although it isn't produced in the gut, as I've talked about in past episodes, if you're dealing with leaky gut, or you have uh, known food sensitivities or inflammatory reactions to foods, uh, even to the level of, of course, an anaphylactic reaction of a food allergy, you know, epinephrine is the go-to responder. So if you think of like an EpiPen, when someone is exposed to like shrimp, if they have a shellfish allergy mm -hmm. that's severe, they're going to literally deliver adrenaline. That's what an EpiPen is, epinephrine, right? So they're going to deliver adrenaline to stop the systemic reaction. So if your body is dealing with inflammatory food response, maybe not to the level of anaphylaxis, your adrenals though are constantly stimulated as if also your body is dealing with a pathogen overgrowth. So if you have gut dysbiosis, I've talked about that in the past, right? How your body is going to be making instead of serotonin and GABA, if you have SIBO, candida, or a pathogen in your gut, your body's going to put out more epinephrine. Again, it's an alarm to say to your, to your body, shit ain't right in here. <laughs> like we need to do something about this. And that can create this low grade feeling of unease and anxiety for certain. Okay. So stressors can be certainly those, those internal, um, whether food sensitivity or pathogen or whatnot, you know, in addition to the external and, and for a lot of us, it's layers and layers of those for sure. Um, symptoms of deficiency of epinephrine. I know there's going to be some, um, crossover with dopamine, like that flatness that we described Yes. And, you know, like everything, again, this is this complex symphony, as I like to call it. So, you know, again, too much epinephrine is like this alarm system, but yeah, like you said, you, you could totally, adrenaline feels good, right? Like 
meeting a deadline, racing a car. We have that whole episode. I think it's 129. It's one of my favorites that we've done called Running on Adrenaline. So if any of this epinephrine stuff resonates, again, A, you need my adrenal rehab program, but B, go listen to 129 um, because we really unpack how even like your thoughts can drive epinephrine surge. But uh, we can see like low professional drive, right? Like you're not getting that feedback of your accomplishments. Uh, We can see low passion or vigor or just this flat affect. We can see lack of focus. We can see brain fog and difficulty processing or thinking when epinephrine is tanked. Okay. And then on the flip side of that, what would it look like to have excessive epinephrine beyond some of the things you've already said? I mean, yeah. And and we can associate usually like adrenaline as far as like, have you ever run late for something like a, like a job interview or you're meeting a deadline for a paper, like the types of things that respond are all epinephrine. So we're talking rapid heart rate, shortness of breath, could get as severe to the level of panic attack, social anxiety response. We can see insomnia, not being able to literally shut down. We can see within that hyperactivity, elevated blood pressure. This is where I really call it like the incredible Hulk mentality. Like we think of, you know, epinephrine or adrenaline surges when like a mom can lift up a car <laughs> to save her child. Like there's these, these out of human body reactions that can occur when epinephrine is skyrocket. Uh, but it's not comfortable to live in that body because there's essentially this excessive nerve firing and we can feel, I I've heard clients describe it as feeling electric and I've been there too. And I can definitely, um, associate with that. And then we can also see when epinephrine is super high, um, high sensitivity to pain. And this is where we can see like with PTSD, um, or after chronic stress response, um, having chronic pain. Got it. Okay. So this place of excess, not a place we want to live. You know, there's a time and a place, like you said, lifting up the car or having that like <laughs> brief surge when we're running late. Survival. Or yeah. <laughs> Survival, but you don't want to live in that space. Yeah. I mean, it literally feels, I mean, I don't know if you have recalled times in your past, but I, I have heard people say it feels like spiders are crawling on their skin, you know, like where you literally feel uncomfortable within yourself. Like you want to just tear out of your body. Yeah. Yep. And that's where things like weighted (laughs) blankets and GABA and L-theanine and these things need to be taken to literally shut down that stress response. I totally just ordered a weighted blanket the other night, actually, just random after a couple glasses of wine. I was like, I've wanted one of these for like two years. So (laughs) I'll let you know how that goes. I feel like I've transitioned past that, but it would have been such a fantastic need. Um, and I remember literally times like uh, five, 10 years ago where I would look at Brady and be like, I just need you to lay on top of me Mm -hmm. and like, not in a sexual way. (laughs) I just literally need your body weight on top of me because I feel like I'm buzzing so hard that I'm like floating. Yeah. Okay. So in addition to GABA and weighted blankets, um, what about, um, I I think this would be another area where, sorry guys, we'd probably pull caffeine out like right away (laughs) if dealing with, especially like espresso and cold brew and things like that, take them out. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. If, if levels are excess, that is not doing you well. And even if they're in deficiency, it's creating that again, external dependency. And we really want to resolve from the root cause. So this is an area where caffeine does not serve. And if you don't like hearing that, you could at least reduce it to that one cup and cut it off within like two hours of rise. And if your levels are low, you can focus on 
chocolate or cacao. Uh, so cacao is going to be, again, a fermented food, but also gives you those antioxidants and support on an amino acid level to boost epinephrine. We can go back to those recommendations for tyrosine-rich foods, right? Um, all of the protein, the dark poultry, the eggs, because again, epinephrine is made essentially from your dopamine. And then as we talk about additional food sources for our norepinephrine, you could apply those as well because epinephrine is made from norepinephrine as well. Okay. And then on a supplemental level, like you said, that GABACOM would be used like in those moments of uh, epinephrine surge or when you're starting to feel that anxiety, panic, or just going into a situation where you know that could be your possible response. Um, what else on a supplemental level? Yeah. And this would also be a time, again, it's this removal and abundance. So like if I know that I'm going to be doing public speaking uh, on stage, that's a day that I will intentionally not take my adrenal support tablet because I know that the adrenal support is that adrenal glandular. And so again, if we're low epinephrine, if we're low dopamine, that would be very appropriate. So just to kind of add that in as a low, but if we're in a stimulus environment where we're going to be on edge, that's only going to surge more of that adrenaline. So we have to be mindful of that balance for sure. Um, and then a big pendulum regulator would be our calm and clear for certain because you're going to get nervines, adaptogens. Those are herbs that are going to help to be calmative as well as resilient to stress and give you that juice for your tank if you are feeling fatigued from the chronic stress response. So that'll help with that vigor without depleting the adrenals. And then you're getting L-theanine, which helps as a modulator or basically a pilot for your neurotransmitters, as well as phosphatidylserine, which is going to reduce excessive cortisol. And remember, cortisol and epinephrine tend to work in synergy and can both stimulate one another. So that phosphatidylserine, and then as I mentioned before in dopamine, or maybe with fasting, relax and regulate would also help in that same sense of mitigating that cortisol stimulation. So then the epinephrine can come down. Okay. Awesome. And then um, if you guys feel like we're beating up on caffeine and coffee, I think matcha would be a great food as medicine tool here as well, especially like to replace maybe starting with replacing an afternoon coffee or cold brew or what have you with a matcha latte. Yes, absolutely. Okay. What's the deal with norepinephrine? Where does this kind of fit into that cascade from dopamine and um, what's it all about? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess in, in theory, maybe it should have came after dopamine, yeah. but I wanted to start start <laughs> with the two most dynamic though, you know, like sure. the, the big, the big wigs, poor norepinephrine is kind of just like the intermediary kid sister that <laughs> <It> gets overlooked. <laughs> However, there are a lot of drugs, like I said, that target norepinephrine as well. Um, but, you know, just like epinephrine, it has primary effects in the central nervous system, but it does have the impact on these peripheral tissues on an adrenaline-like level. So like that, like, uh, you know, shakiness or like the tingling kind of sensation. Now, what's interesting about norepinephrine that distinguishes it away from epinephrine is that it has more of a bi-directional role where it can kind of normalize or even um, reduce anxiety activity, kind of evening out the mood in the neurotransmitters. Whereas epinephrine is just like full steam train on the tracks, like stress response alarm. Norepinephrine can like turn on and like turn the alarm down in volume or adjust things. Um, so we tend to look at when I'm running a uh, Labrix report, which is the panel that I like to do when I'm assessing neurotransmitters, it's a urinary assessment. We'll talk a little detail in a moment. 
but the relationship of norepinephrine and epinephrine gives us a lot of feedback on how that individual is metabolizing their neurotransmitters. And this is where we really look to things like COMT as a gene regulator. So COMT stands for catecholamine methylestransferase, which basically means how our stress-responding chemicals, our, our catecholamines, these are all catecholamines that we've been talking about today, how our catecholamines are metabolized or regulated in, in buildup mode. And so when someone has a COMT issue or a genetic mutation on that gene, um, they're generally going to be that like steam train on the track that doesn't have the steam valve of release. Uh, and this is where we want to really regulate that norepinephrine-epinephrine relationship. Got it. Okay. I'm sure we'll get more into the, the testing piece of the puzzle in a moment here. Um, would you say symptoms of um, excess and deficiency would be similar to norepinephrine or, or to epinephrine, or, or does this present differently when norepinephrine is too high? So, you know, I, I actually, in the anti-anxiety diet, uh, book, I, I want to pull a quote from here because I think it really, uh, kind of demonstrates their relationship. So, you know, I think of um, epinephrine, which is again, made from norepinephrine in the adrenal glands as the attack dog. So epinephrine has more of this like aggressive reactive, again, survival effect of anxiety and stress. And then norepinephrine we think of as more tonifying. So it serves as more of a actual neurotransmitter chemical um, rather than epinephrine, which is which is technically, again, a neurotransmitter, but that functions more as a quick responding hormone. So there's a little bit of a, of a distinguishment, like that's like the go get response, right? Whereas norepinephrine can be more of a neurotransmitter for mood stability, uh, regulatory function. It can actually reduce panic or anxiety attacks. Um, and it helps to kind of get us into this baseline function. Whereas I think dopamine and epinephrine are more kind of polarizing in their response. And connecting on a medication level, uh, propranol, isn't that what Michael Jackson OD'd on? Um, that was propofol. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. propranol. Yeah. yeah, okay. So so beta blocker, totally different. Sorry, guys. Um, beta blocker drug, though, that's targeted for blood pressure acts on you know both epinephrine and norepinephrine receptors, and it has an influence on migraines, tremors, anxiety. Okay. Awesome. Well, not awesome. None of that is awesome. Propanol. Um, yep. Propanol. Yes. Propanol. Propanolol. Propanolol. Propanol. Yeah. <laughs> Rowid. Rowid. Yep. yep. <laughs> always go back to black sheep and um, yeah, David Spade. That always helps me with my <laughs> pronunciation of words. Oh my gosh. So good. Um, okay. So that's when the, sorry, time out for those yeah. of you, uh, uh, like garbage humor, like me, um, uh, remember that's the scene where they're like going in the car and the, um, the gas is going off. And so it's like the, um, the sleep gas or whatever is going off nitrous oxide and um, the cop pulls him over and um, they're like, sir, do you know how fast you're going? And Chris Farley's like, I don't know. I'd say uh, 16. <laughs> and the cop goes seven, seven miles, seven miles an hour. Oh my God. Wasn't Brady, were we quoting that yeah, in the car well, recently? We get caught on that all yeah. the time. <laughs> Cause they're like driving and they're like rowed, rowed. <laughs> Anyway, we, should, we we could do an episode on tear gas. That'd be terrible for our uh, our glutathione levels, and it would probably be funny to listen to. Uh, uh, 
<laughs> not good for our brain. Not good for your nitric oxide and your brain. Nope. 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 nope, nope. nope. Or your neurotransmitters probably just to take it back to where this got Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do it. Um, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know how we got there, but we got there. Um, so what, what nutrients, any, any, um, different area of focus, um, or different things that you would avoid in the case of elevated norepinephrine, um, anything else on a nutrient level to consider? Well, there's actually that impact of, um, aspartame and, um, phenylalanine. So, you know, there is uh, individuals that have that genetic issue with PKU syndrome, but this is a little bit not directly associated with that, but norepinephrine specifically can get thrown off with aspartame and any diet sweetener that has that uh, phenylalanine. So that's a big thing to another reason to hate non-caloric sweeteners. Um, but we can see blood sugar elevation when norepinephrine is in excess. So there's more of a blood sugar influencing effect from this neurotransmitter. If levels are low, I would drive with those same tyrosine-rich foods because, again, tyrosine drives all. So, again, as far as supplementation, you'd only want to supplement with muconopurines and or L-tyrosine if you know all of your catecholamines are low. Like maybe you're low in dopamine, but you're running high on adrenaline or epinephrine, not a time to supplement with those compounds. It's going to make you feel like you're literally electrically charged. So just stick with the tyrosine-rich foods if you're low. Um, remove the aspartame and non-caloric sweeteners if you're high. Um, and then we also would want to, again, the things that we said for uh, epinephrine, like removing the caffeine, same supplement recommendations actually. So you actually get like a threefer by bringing in the, the calm and clear, mm -hmm. which is going to help to modulate this entire expression. And then I have seen in um, when, when there's an issue with conversion, uh, zinc can be fantastic supplement to bring in. And we think of zinc as an anxiolytic, right? So zinc has natural mood stabilizing properties. It also helps with your gut integrity, uh, also can help with testosterone metabolism, but it aids in maintaining dopamine without metabolizing and stealing all that dopamine into norepinephrine and then epinephrine. Okay. Awesome. That makes sense. And then one thing that I see oftentimes um, that all three of these are flat, like in, an individual who is in, you know, a, a later stage of adrenal fatigue. So considering um, even adrenal support before we go into the mucinopurines and, and things that more directly, you know, have an influence there. Yes. And, you know, I think that before we go on to lifestyle support, let's have a, a note from our mid roll, which is kind of the end roll <laughs> podcast sponsor today. Uh, let's talk about F-bomb and muse on them a little bit. Yes, yes, yes. We absolutely love F-bomb, who I know you met at the first ever KetoCon. I wasn't present, but um, they totally represent everything, you know, that we talk about here on the podcast in terms of foundational elements of the keto diet, eating whole real foods with single ingredients and providing a, you know, pretty substantial delivery of fat to boost the brain hormones and support a keto lifestyle. Absolutely. So they started with nut butter packs, which my whole household, I love to joke that the Miller family loves to drop F-bombs, <laughs> uh, but literally my whole household, we all have our own favorite flavor. So my favorite is the macadamia coconut 
It used to be macadamia pecan, which I still love, but macadamia coconut is, is kind of taking the lead right now. And Brady is team uh, just straight up macadamia. And then Stella loves macadamia pecan. And she also, of course, loves the chocolate yeah. macadamia nut butter. <laughs> and uh, they came out with the F-bomb jars, which has been really fun for the household. So if we're doing like half an apple, we'll be able to easily scoop that out, you know, a little bit more sustainable. Also just easy delivery and making sure that you don't have to cut open when I'm eating the F-bomb nut butter packs on the go, I literally will rip them open and like use my finger or lick the inside because <laughs> I don't want to leave any of that fat goodness behind. Uh, but it's so important, as you guys know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of being fat fueled. And these are a great convenient snack for children and adults alike. Um, they can support a fat fast on the go, as can their premium oils. I've been known to slam their MCT oil before like a wedding. <laughs> Instead of doing like a five-hour energy, I'll just do an MCT oil shooter that boosts my ketones, it aids with satiety and boosts my energy to, to keep me up if I want to do a, a later night for a fun event. Um, and I'm a huge fan also of their pork sticks. Uh, these have been on all my book tour stops personally. And then we've been handing out the F-Bomb Nut Butter Packs uh, because as I mentioned, F-Bomb's one of my uh, book tour sponsors. But the pork sticks are a fantastic texture I have to arm wrestle Stella to get some for myself. Um, and they're a fantastic moisture uh, mouthfeel. And then their cheese crunches are awesome as well. The Keto Crunch uses microbial enzymes to uh, kind of put them into clusters versus adding like cellulose and other processed ingredients of the food industry. So super stoked on all the things that FBOM has to offer. Uh, go on over to drop an fbomb.com slash Allie Miller RD. You will reach a landing page that has my face on it and my favorite products, as well as a discount code. So you can save on your order to stay fat fueled. Again, drop an fbomb.com Allie Miller RD. You can also use Allie Miller RD at checkout. Um, great way to let them know that you heard about them uh, and are supporting the Naturally Nourished podcast because that lets them know that you heard about them here. Awesome. Love, love, love all things F-bomb for sure. And you can always find, you know, if you were to dump out my purse at any given moment, there's at least like two F-bombs and a pork stick in there. So I'm on board. Yeah. Um, you save Stella because I'm like, so not a purse person. And once, <laughs> now that Stella's potty trained, I'm the worst mom. I never have like the diaper bag. So all the time, anytime I'm with Aunt Becky, it's like, they ain't good. She's got the F-bombs because like Stella also takes from your stash. She's been known to, yeah. Oh girl. Um, I've always been the, the like snack mom, probably since I was like eight years old. So <laughs> like you anything, snacks? you guys want snacks? <laughs> and anything to ground this three major. And, you know, like when you are fat fueled, you know, you probably don't eat the snacks as much because you're not hungry. Nope. So that's pretty cool. Right. right. I don't usually end up needing them unless we're traveling and, and we're, you know, in a, a deficit somewhere. Um, so, yeah. all right, let's, um, let's leave, let's, let's leave glutamate for our okay. holiday episode coming up next, because I know we're going to talk about like the connection of gut health and stress and also irritant foods. So I think that'll be a great way to kind of round out that last and, and a different mechanism of an excitatory neurotransmitter, if you will. So let's, let's, um, transition into some lifestyle support testing and, okay. and then we'll wrap it on home. Good plan because this episode can easily, oh, I didn't realize we're almost to an hour already. So this could easily go an hour and a half if we kept going. Um, let's talk about testing. I know we alluded to this a bit in our last podcast on this topic in episode 160, but let's talk about um, why we perform urinary um, neurotransmitter testing and, and kind of what that tells us. 
Yeah. So studies have demonstrated that specific blood-brain barrier transporters carry neurotransmitters intact from the central nervous system out to the peripheral tissues. So it's kind of like a one-way, you know, as we've discussed in the first, well, not the first episode, but last episode, um, we talked about how neurotransmitters can't cross the blood-brain barrier because that could create so much brain inflammation or really throw off the function of the central nervous system. But we do see that the central nervous system pushes them out. So that's an interesting concept. And when these neurotransmitters pass into the peripheral tissues, they are then filtered by the kidneys into the urine. So we've seen a relationship between the presence of the level of neurotransmitters in the urine to those in the central nervous system. And this is why I think urinary assessment of neurotransmitters is the gold standard to really understand what's going on in your brain chemistry. Now, uh, you can use the, uh, under AllieMillerRD.com, under labs and consults, there is a tab where you can read about labs, and then there's the neurohormone complete panel, but also there's a URL, AllieMillerRD.com slash test, and that's an option um, to just look at the urinary neurotransmitters. And um, I like to still run if it can be cost affordable for you. It's adding on an extra $150 or so to look at the salivary cortisol and DHEA, which to me is an important piece of the puzzle. If we're looking at our neurotransmitters and we're looking at, you know, three of them that are produced by the adrenals, it's important to also see what the adrenal cortex is putting out on a hormone level. And then at that, at that juncture, you might as well also just look at all of your sexual hormone because there's a lot of overlap, for instance like COMT, catecholamine methyl transferase, right? That genetic mutation, which impacts norepinephrine, epinephrine conduction or, or um, conversion, if you will, uh, also plays a big influence on estrogen metabolism. So we see like higher prevalence of COMT genetic mutations having estrogen dominance. So I think it's important to do salivary assessment with your neurotransmitters to get the full picture. Um, but if not cost affordable, you could just look at the neurotransmitters, especially if you're someone that's looking at like medication wean or understanding the metabolism of the medication that you're taking. Sure. That totally makes sense. Or if you have, you know, known family history of something like bipolar or schizophrenia, that'd be a good place to start with, you know, addressing your risk. But I think the add-on of the adrenals ensures that you don't, you know, overshoot or, or overlook something that needs to be addressed. Absolutely. And, you know, I've used the neurotransmitter testing when I'm working in conjunction with someone's psychiatrist to do a medication wean. Um, and often we will see that serotonin levels actually improve once we get the individual off the SSRI and are able to support them with the nutritional building block like 5-HTP, but they're not able to go on that compound because that could drive, as we mentioned last episode, selective ser or, or basically serotonin excessive syndrome, right? So it's this, this fine, um, dance of wean and replacement as you're weaning off of the medication. And that always needs to be done with your practitioner. However, what's so cool about all of the supplements in the naturally nourished line and with my work with all of this, I made sure that anything that I'm going to private label can't drive excess of one neurotransmitter. So all of these suggestions, relax and regulate, calm and clear, the B complex, all of these would be appropriate even without testing and likely will aid in generalized regulation because they don't drive one pathway or one production of one neurotransmitter. 
Got it. So you're addressing the spectrum and trying to, you know, you're not going to be overshooting any particular area. So like the calm and clear, as we've mentioned several times in this episode is more going to modulate and, and that L-theanine specifically is going to help to bring things into center versus like driving one thing up and one thing down like a game of whack-a-mole. Absolutely. And, you know, the next thing to consider as a like food as medicine support that we talked on last episode, which is what brought up, you know, that, that concept of maybe being uh, protein malnourished with fasting is the importance of meeting your ideal protein range. Um, because protein, again, all of these amino acids are the precursors or the building blocks for your neurotransmitters. Um, so I would definitely look at that like 1.2 gram to kilogram equation to ensure you're getting at least your minimum need. Um, especially if you're dealing with mood disturbance, you know, sometimes I say you could go down to 0.8. That's if you're looking though for weight loss and you have, you know, a higher amount of body weight. Uh, but getting ample protein is super important. And I'm talking biologically available from animal product. And then the next food is medicine I would layer in would be probiotics. So as I've mentioned before, you know, Probiotics are nature's Prozac. So taking a quality probiotic, there have actually been research study after research study after study that show in humans, not rats, <laughs> in humans, comparison of a placebo to a probiotic supplement actually helping with schizophrenia, manic bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, cognitive clarity, and so much more. So a quality probiotic supplement like the you know baseline restore probiotic, or if needed, the targeted strength probiotic, um, or the rebuild spectrum, those are the three that are in my naturally nourished line. All of these are live active cultures, and these are the types of strains, not the um, soil-based organisms. It's the live active cultures that have been studied in research to be nature's Prozac. And unlike Prozac, which just targets serotonin, again, the probiotics are multifactorial, and they regulate the enteric nervous system sync signaling to the central nervous system, as well as the production pathway. So huge foundational player with probiotic supplementation. And then, Becky, how about you share with listeners favorite probiotic-rich foods? Um, I'm really digging sauerkraut right now for some reason. I think it's because cabbage was a yellow in my MRT like ages ago. It was out of our fridge for quite some time. Um, so I love the, um, is it farmhouse cultures or barrel Creek, yeah. both of those brands, barrel Creek, um, which used to be hat Creek and farmhouse cultures. Absolutely love everything that those guys are putting out. I wish they were still doing glass jars. They've transitioned to like plastic and plastic pouches. Yeah. Um, but other than that, um, and Bubby's pickles still, uh, does sauerkraut and pickles in a glass jar. So glass. all of those are like something that I'll do very often um, as an afternoon snack with some like raw aged cheese if I'm doing dairy at that time or Marcona almonds and, you know, a, a, about a quarter cup of, of probiotic pickle. So you don't need a whole lot. Um, I love um, the Colina coconut yogurt because I don't do well right now with um, Greek yogurt or like uh, cow based dairy yogurt. I found a sheep yogurt though that I really like um, and seem to tolerate well. So, you know, yogurt of any form, um, kombucha, if you dig that, which I think I burned out in my juice bar days on like too much, <laughs> too much kombucha. We had it on tap and I was known to like drink like three in a day, which is just <laughs> way too much. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but kombucha would I've be just a great started one. to bring. Yeah, I've just started to bring that a little bit back in my diet. It's felt right for me, and I've been using it like in the evening instead of a glass of wine, sure. which has been good. And um, the other one that I'm obsessed with recently is the wild brine um, sriracha. Oh yeah. Yeah, I put that on everything. So it's basically kimchi that they just like blend. And we've talked about that in past episodes. Yeah, Byron Um, Byron is against it because he thinks he can just blend kimchi and make the same thing, which I'm sure you could, but it's convenient. It's in a squeeze bottle. (laughs) I make everything from scratch, but there are some convenient foods that I am all about using. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And still totally single ingredient and, you know, no additives, all good stuff. And they make a a green one too. green fermented hot sauce. I don't know what the base of that Ooh, is, but there's gotta check that out. both of those. And what you could do, which is really cool. I learned this at Bastyr. And so even if, you know, you don't tolerate like dairy, uh, you know, you can use the liquid on top of yogurt to inoculate things like salsa. So you could literally just take like a farmer's market salsa or like, you know, your salt, like a store-bought quality salsa. Um, ideally though, one that isn't, uh, pasteurized, mm-hmm. right? So like a fresh salsa will do best, but you can do it even with a jarred pasteurized. Um, and, uh, you just can add that, uh, lactobacillus and the culture to inoculate basically anything. Um, but salsa does really well. Things with kind of like spice tend to do well cause they can take a little bit of that like vinegary ferment flavor. Um, and that's a great thing to consider as well as like the brine. That's why they're selling like gut shot. Well, do, do just like, don't toss your bubbies liquid Uh and you can use that in marinades, but really I prefer to just drink it as like a shooter. It's a great elixir and you're getting all of the probiotic support there. Yeah. I've been known to drink out of the pickle jar, especially when you feel like electrolytes are off. I feel like it really has that good, like salty, briny awesomeness. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, so let's hit on two more food as medicine supporters, and then we'll just like round back out with the, like, again, repeat of, uh, you know, go to, and maybe how you use one supplement over another. Um, so B vitamins and adaptogens and L-theanine, I guess that's three things. Let's hit them all. I'll allow it. (laughs) Okay. Thanks. Uh, so B vitamins, uh, super important because these are our cofactors or basically our activators for our neurotransmitters. So we're looking at like B6 having a huge role as well as folate, as well as B12, um, you know, all of these nutrients. And, and then even things like biotin, which independently has shown with deficiency can drive depression and um, anxiety. So getting a good B-complex, like the naturally nourished B-complex, can be a great, again, insurance policy for mood stability, neurotransmitter balance, as well as energy, metabolic support, um, and help you to be more stress resilient because during a stress time, you burn through your B vitamins. Totally. And then beyond that, adding in adaptogens and nervines. So this would be, again, something like the calm and clear um, to help regulate that stress access. Or adaptogen boost if you're dealing uh-huh. with on the end of the burnout, like you feel like you might be running low and you're dealing with that flatness, adaptogen boost with the Panax ginseng, the rhodiola, and the um, what it, cordyceps. Yep. The cordyceps, those are going to help to be tonifying to the stress response without getting into the adrenals and driving these catecholamines. So it's a great replacement for like the caffeine taking, you know, two adaptogen boost in the afternoon is a great way to actually make your gland less overstimulated, less dumping, and actually resilient while giving you that surge of energy. So that would be a great player if you feel on the flat or low side, again, without maybe going into excess mode 
from using those exact amino acids. Um, so that's a good food for thought there. On the B vitamins, uh, let's uh, jive on some foods there. So we're talking about organs would be actually our richest form of B vitamins. Um, so beyond eating enough ample animal protein for the amino acids, specifically the organs are going to be really rich in our B vitamins. Um, and then we'd be looking at also for the B vitamins, like leafy greens, two to three cups of greens a day for that folate. Uh, we also know that, of course, going back to organ, liver is a great source of folate, right? Uh, kidney also can provide us some folate. So organs, leafy greens, avocado is another great source for those B vitamins and mood boosts. Um, what about, uh, Becky, the last player, Alfini? I know you talked about a little bit of matcha. Anything else we want to add there? Uh, matcha, matcha, matcha. Um, well, matcha I think <laughs> is the best source, right? Other green tea will have some, but, um, just the, the growing and, and, um, fact that the matcha comes from whole ground leaves is going to increase that L-theanine. I think it's like tenfold versus regular, um, green tea. And this is something, like I said, I like to incorporate as like an afternoon latte with a splash of almond milk or coconut milk, maybe a scoop of collagen, um, or doing something like your matcha gelatin pudding, incorporating it into, you know, a, a food or a snack or something like that. Um, matcha also goes well in pretty much any like green smoothie or um, yeah. keto shake across the board. Just don't do it too late in the day or it's going to have you a little bit, you know, wired in the evening. So probably still cutting that off at what, like 3 p.m. or so yeah, for the matcha. Yeah. And that's where then you could keep rolling with the L-theanine right. and the calm and clear past that time. And again, what's just really cool about L-theanine is it's this modulator for our neurotransmitters. So it's going to balance out both excess and deficiency. Um, and so, you know, it's not going to drive a one-stop shop. Um, and what we see with it is as it crosses the blood-brain barrier, L-theanine as an amino acid is able to cross the blood-brain barrier, and it actually directly impacts the central nervous system by enhancing our levels of dopamine, GABA, and serotonin. So it's giving us that bliss, but also those inhibitory compounds um, without driving an overproduction pathway. We've also seen that L-theanine can upregulate our alpha brain waves, and these are what are seen in elevation during meditation, creative expression, relaxation, REM cycles of sleep, and then connecting back to the big picture about our enteric nervous system or our gut and how it makes neurotransmitters. There are research studies that show that L-theanine supplementation can reduce secretory IgA levels, which are often elevated from a stress response and driving leaky gut. So L-theanine can actually support our mucosal membranes indirectly by um, reducing that stress response. So cool. And clearly my dog Houston has something to say. He <laughs> He's agrees. passionate about L-theanine. I don't know if uh, matcha is safe for dogs. Probably not. Um, <laughs> but I do I'm grow gonna... CBD. <laughs> yep. Yep. CBD can work. Yeah. Yeah. So as we mentioned kind of with the CBD again, that would be one that would be more driving the inhibitory mellower outers, right? As opposed to the uh, stimulant activators. So I will put that in the supplement suggestions as far as regulating our neurotransmitters. Um, Social CBD is the company that I'm a big proponent of. Uh, we use a lot of recipes and that's where if you're like not willing to give up your coffee, adding CBD and fat to that coffee will at least blunt that excess epinephrine stimulation uh, to some level. It's not going to completely 
completely eliminate it, but it won't get you as wiry or as like shaky. Totally. And we have a couple good recipes for a CBD cold brew latte, or I think it's a lavender CBD cold brew yeah, latte. It is. Um, it is. I don't know if we have a hot, I think we do have like a, a, a peppermint mocha maybe with CBD as well for the cooler uh, weather that's coming. <laughs> And better, the anti-anxiety diet cookbook has lemon yes. lavender CBD yes. balls <laughs> made with macadamia and Brazil nuts and, and coconut oil and coconut butter. And they are so flippin' dreamy. If you don't have the book yet, you need to buy it. And full circle, please leave me a review on Amazon. Yep. <laughs> so I want to hit you with, I want to hit you with, uh, you know, six big tips on how to regulate your neurotransmitters. And then we're going to let y'all go. So the first thing you can do is to eat enough protein because you're going to get the benefit of those B vitamins, those amino acids, um, and, you know, be telling the body that it's safe when it's nourished, essentially. I want you to uh, get at least seven to nine hours of sleep at night. That's really when we get the best neurogenesis and our neurotransmitters are able to recalibrate or reset. Um, and within that mindset of like relaxation and sleep, Practicing deep breathing would be really important. You guys know I'm a huge proponent of four, seven, eight breath. Uh, listen to episode 129 to learn more about that or read the anti-anxiety diet. Uh, adjust your environment to reduce your stress and learn to say no. Uh, we talk a lot about this in adrenal rehab. I have an entire handout on you know lifestyle supporters, blue blockers, ways to block your EMF because um, we know that that blue light drives dopamine expression and then reducing your commitment so that you're just not on this overdrive over commitment mode. And for those things that you can't say no to, I would incorporate practicing perspective and gratitude. We see gratitude really helps with overall mental health and putting our body again in this parasympathetic place, reframing the thoughts of our mind and feeling less like a victim and more like a victor or someone that has um, control over their thoughts in their life tend to be more grounded and balanced and is going to put out less signals of survival. Okay. So, so much good information in today's episode. If you like what you heard, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review along with a couple of sentences on why you love the podcast. And because we can't do this all in <laughs> two episodes to be continued on the glutamate piece of the puzzle in our holiday episode. Take care guys. Be well. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.